is. God, in our own hearts, we want to justify ourselves, and you say that our silence and good works can speak louder than a million words. God, your word tells us that the way of service is the way of greatness. Your way tells us, Lord, that the way of giving up everything is the way of gaining everything. And so, God, we pray today that you would change our hearts and change our minds so that we see the world the way that you do, so that we don't uh, walk in our flesh and we don't walk in the ways that we normally walk, but instead we walk in your ways, looking, um, looking to your kingdom, looking to your glory, looking to your son to meet all of our needs. God, as we pray today, we pray that you would make us glad because we see your hand reigning in every area of our lives. It is so easy for us to see other rulers in the world, whether it's government, whether it's celebrities, God, whether it's uh, other powers. And I pray that today you would give us a vision to see that the Lord reigns. He reigns in Manchester and in Scott County and Morgan County and Green County and all the places that we come from. God, you are the one who is ruling and reigning in Illinois and the United States and in the world today. And so I pray that you would use that to make us worshipers. God, as we gather today, there are many here who need wisdom and who say, I don't know what to do, don't know what decision to make. And so, God, I pray for those here in our church or in our church family who can't be here this morning, who, are, who have difficult decisions to make, and they're asking for wisdom. And I ask on their behalf that you would give them wisdom to know what is the will of God in this matter. And God, I pray that you would give them uh, hearts of assurance that your word says you will give wisdom to those who ask it, and that you count Christ's record as our record so that they can be free to believe you and to trust that you're going to give them the wisdom that they need. And God, for those this week, some of whom are um, heavy-hearted as we go into Thanksgiving, this last year has been a year of loss, a year of change. There are people missing around the table. There are relationships that are still not restored, people that still won't come to the table. God, I pray that this year you would direct our hearts towards reconciliation and that you would let us trust you for that. God, I pray for those who go into the holiday season with a lot of anxiety going to visit family. God, I pray that you would fill their hearts with thanksgiving. Because your word in Philippians tells us that it's thanksgiving that drives away our fear and anxiety. God, for those that go to the end, are coming to the end of this year, going to meet family, going to Christmas parties coming up, and there's so much that they want to hide and be ashamed of. God, I pray that you would use the gospel to set them free from fear and shame. And instead of wanting to hide, instead they would know that they have a safe place with the God of the universe. Who, said, who leaves no room for shame and who takes the shame away. God, as we worship you today, I pray, Lord, that we would have ears to hear what your word says as it's read and spoken, as we sing songs based on your word. God, I pray that you would give us lives based on your word, built on your word, grounded in your word. God, I pray that you would make us a, a church whose relationships with each other demonstrate to the world the reality that Jesus is God's son and comes from God. God, I pray that you would make us a good news church for Manchester and the surrounding counties. I also pray for the other, our other sister churches in the area who believe like we do and seek to worship you in spirit and in truth and make disciples. God, I pray that you would 
that you would grow, start, strengthen, whatever it takes so that every community around us has a Bible-preaching, gospel-believing church that is living out and demonstrating and holding out the gospel of God to all of the people who live in West Central Illinois. God, I pray that you would give us a burden for that so that we don't stop asking you to do this work that only you could do. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What are you going to do with Jesus' prayer? What are you going to do with what Jesus prayed for you? We've been spending the last several weeks, this will be the fifth week, walking through John 17, overhearing what Jesus prayed for us. I don't know if you're like me, sometimes you overhear a conversation and then you go, what am I supposed to do with this? I didn't, I didn't intend to hear somebody talking about this. They weren't necessarily saying it straight to me. What do I do with this? We've been spending these last seven weeks, it's not a sermon from Jesus. It's not a, um, it's not a letter from one of the disciples. We know what to do with those. We've been listening to what Jesus prayed for everybody who would trust in him throughout the ages. We can go without that. That's okay. What are you going to do with what Jesus prayed for you? Go ahead and turn with me to John 17, very end of the letter. Or I'm sorry, the very end of the prayer. Today we're going to be looking at verses 24 through 26. John 17, starting in verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Let's pray. God, open our eyes to your word. Open our ears to what you have to say. God, open our hearts to your love and to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've reached the end of this, this chapter. John 17, where we hear what Jesus prayed for you, where he has prayed for the Father's care, he has prayed for the future, he has prayed that the church would be, would be known for loving each other, so much so that your neighbor, your family members, would trust in Jesus because of what they see in us. We've seen that's been Jesus' prayer in John 17. What I want to show you today is here at the end of John 17 is a call and an invitation to you and I to respond to Jesus' prayer and to take it in. I want to show you four ways to respond to Jesus' prayer from this passage. Four ways to respond to Jesus' prayer. First way is to treasure His promise. 
Look at verse 24. It's verse 24. Father, I want. When you think about Jesus, what comes to your mind that Jesus wants? What comes to your mind when you think, what, what does Jesus want for me and for my kids and my grandkids? What does Jesus want for my parents and my siblings? What does Jesus want for our church? Jesus says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. Jesus Praying for us, we've already seen in John 17, praise for everyone who would believe in Jesus because of the disciples' message. Praise for you that you would be with him. Is that the thing that comes to your mind when you think about what Jesus wants? Jesus wants this guy, this, this woman, this little girl. Jesus wants me to be with him? Or is it you think of all of the lists of things that you don't do? Jesus wants me to stop yelling. Jesus wants me to be more patient. Jesus wants this. Jesus wants, Jesus, Jesus here says, Father, I want those that you have given me to be with me. Jesus is here praying about the future. Praying about the day when he would return and his kingdom would come in full and we, he, those who are dead would be raised to be with him, to live in the homes that he has built for them in glory, those that are alive that would be taken up with him. Jesus here is, says, is praying about the future and looking forward to the day when those who would believe in his message, that would believe in him, would be with him. Jesus is looking forward to your future. And what he has out there is the day that he gets to be with you. The day that you get to be with him. Remember, this is sandwiched in between the Last Supper and his arrest, trial, and execution. And his mind is on the moment that his people get to be with him. I don't think that we get, I don't think that we have internalized enough how much Jesus loves his people. So that the, the, our waking thought is that the God of the universe wanted me to be with him enough that he made a way for that to happen. My question is, does your Christianity have in it this expectant, longing Jesus who says, I go to prepare a place for you and I look forward to the day where you are coming? This is the week of Thanksgiving. Most of us have some kind of celebration that we go to. All of us have some people that won't be around the table and we miss them. Some get to have somebody back for the first Thanksgiving they've had in a long time. And I'm reminded that in this prayer, Jesus isn't praying about our Thanksgiving, but it's this image of, I have this vision of a feast and a moment where there is a seat with your name on it, and Jesus looks forward to that meal. I don't think that we... 
I don't think that we believe this enough. That the, that the love of God is enough that at this critical moment in his life, he says, I want to be with her. And so I'm going to make a way for that to happen. And so this, pa- this passage begins by calling us to treasure this reality, this promise that Jesus, right now, if I have repented of my sin and trusted in Jesus, is looking forward to the day where I get my seat at his table. So many of us have tables Yours might be historic and special in your house. So many meals that have been around it. And so our our tables can be special because of what has happened around our table. But Jesus is here talking about what's going to happen around his table. And you and I will get to be at it. And so in this prayer, the, the first call to us is can we treasure this promise and pull it inside into our hearts so that when the moments are dark and difficult, we know Jesus is still looking forward to me coming. Jesus is still looking forward to me coming. So the first way for us to respond to this prayer is to treasure this promise. Treasure this reality that Jesus is looking forward to me coming to his house and being with him. I can't help but, as I talk about that, I can't help but think of the, all of the names on my list that are, are now at that table. When I first came here, within the first week or so, I, I made a list of the names of everybody in our church so I could pray for them. And I haven't been able to get rid of the list. couldn't bring myself to do it. But there's so many people whose names I've done their funeral or I've done their graveside sat with them in their home when hospice was in their house. And so this passage, though, says for for those who have trusted in Christ, the best is yet to come because Jesus is standing on the other side and says, you're here finally. I've been looking forward to this day because John 17, he says, I want them to be with me. And so if 2023 or 2024 holds the day for you where you cross over between death into life everlasting, this verse says Jesus is going to be saying, I was waiting for you. I'm so glad that you're here. Your house is ready. Your table, my table is set and your seat is here. Those of us that this year doesn't hold that for us. Instead, this year holds more waiting, more longing, more hoping. It is, this passage is a call for us to go, Jesus is looking forward to me coming. Nothing that's going to happen this year is going to stop that. He's, the Father gave me to the Son, and Jesus is on pins and needles waiting for the day that I get to come and enjoy what He has bought for me. First way to respond to Jesus' prayer is to treasure this promise. Second way to respond to Jesus' prayer is to worship because of His glory. Look at verse 24 again. He says, I want them to be with me. And to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation or the foundation of the world. Jesus says, I want, he's already said, I want them to be with me. And then he says, I want that. I want them to see my glory. He, again, he, he uses the word gave. 
the glory you have given me. So he says, you gave me these people. Now he says, you gave me this glory. He says, I want them to see the glory that you gave me. In the book of John, when Jesus talks about glory, he's often talking about the cross. He's often talking about the cross and is saying what you think is glory, which is Herod living in a palace or it's Caesar living in a palace. What you think is glory, which is riches and fame and power, is nothing compared to the glory of the cross. The glory of Jesus' life on earth, which shows us the character of God. And he says, I want you, I want them to see the glory that right now they are just going to glimpse through a window, through the cross. I want them to see my glory. And if Jesus' prayer and desire is that we see his glory, then the response that God wants from us is that we would worship his glory. That we begin to say, God, help me see the glory that you have and worship the glory of the God of the universe that would stop and pray for his people in, right before he's about to be abandoned, betrayed, arrested, tried, and executed. The glory of Jesus who would serve and wash the feet of those who will be turning their backs on him. God, help us see that kind of glory and worship. This, I think, should be one of our prayers is that we say, God, help me see. The book of Job is one of the oldest books in the Bible. We kind of know it for the story of Job and his suffering, losing his children, losing his home. But there's a verse tucked away in it that says that God's creation is but a fringe of his ways. God's, like what God does on the prairie in Illinois is just a fringe of what God is like. And so it's this kind of unexplained verse, just that we don't really, if, that tells us that what we see of God in the world is just a little bit of what he's like. The glory of God when suns rise, when spring comes, the glory of God in snowfall, if you're the kind of person that likes snow, the glory of God that we see in the cry of a newborn baby, the glory of God that we see in a person is but a fringe of his ways. And I was thinking of that verse this week because Job says the world shows us just the edge of God, just the edge of his coat. In the cross, Jesus says, I'm going to show you my glory. I'm going to show you how great God is because he would give himself and his one and only son for his enemies so that he can make a place in his home for them. His greatness and glory is so great, the world is just the edge of it. The cross shows the heart of it. And so I think this passage calls us to to say, God, make me see and worship. God, like a person needing eye surgery, having cataracts taken off so that we can see clearly, God, help me clearly see your glory so that I can worship. I think if Jesus, if this is what Jesus prayed about, it should be higher on our priority list. If this is what Jesus prayed, is that that people would see his glory and worship his glory, then it should be higher on our priority list for each other. I think of some people in my family that I pray God's blessing on them.
God, will you bless? I know whatever their struggles are, whatever I imagine their struggles are. I, I regularly pray, God, deliver them. God, be near to them. Be Provide for her. But this makes me go, maybe our prayers should sometimes be, God, can you show her your glory so she can worship? Maybe you've got adult children or adult grandchildren who have turned away from the Lord, and we want them to return. Maybe our prayer for them is, God, can you overwhelm them with such a vision of glory in the cross that you would make turn change their hearts so they worship? As I pray for a loved one, I'm like, God, yes, provide for her. Maybe we can begin to pray for each other, pray for her and say, God, can you make her desk a place of worship because she is overwhelmed with a vision of how great you are in the cross. Yes, provide, but also make her see. Maybe we begin to pray for each other, not just that our church would be happy and healthy and successful and whatever that means, but that we would begin to pray for each other. God, may we worship. May we each see your glory to the, to the level we've never known before so that we can worship. Maybe pray for ourselves and say, God, I haven't seen enough. Show me your glory and give me the heart of a worshiper. If I think about the legacy of our lives, you know I love history and I love learning about the things that have happened in our church and in our community over the years. But I, based on this, if what Jesus wants is for his people to see glory, then what I want is that someday in the future when they look back on the 2020s and they say, I think they saw glory and they worshiped. May that be true of us, that if this is what Jesus' prayer is, then we should worship because we've seen his glory. The third way to respond to Jesus' prayer from this passage is to hold on to his character. Look at verse 25. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known. This is the only time in the Bible that righteous father is put together, and it's just at the lowest moment in the Bible. Right? Jesus is about to suffer and die, and, but in his heart, he knows the character of God is righteous in everything that he does, and so he prays and says, righteous father, I know you know what you're doing, and you always do what is right. And then he says, I have revealed your name. Name, name is the way that the Bible describes the character of God. When Jesus says, I have revealed your name to them, this is repeated throughout the Bible, that God's name would be glorified, that God's character would be known. And so Jesus says, I have made known to them exactly what you are like. Jesus says, I have made known to them who you are, I have shown them what your steadfast character is like. Jesus says, if you want to see God, this is what he's like. He's like the man, the, the God-man who goes out to the well in the middle of the day to take the woman who's ashamed and says, you can be included in God's kingdom. Jesus is the one who celebrates with tax collectors and sinners and says, nobody is too far gone. 
Jesus reveals the character of God and who opposes the proud but lifts up those who have nothing. Jesus is the one who Jesus is the one who gives his life for his enemies while they are still his enemies and says this is what the character of God is like. And so this passage I think tells us to hold on to his character. If Jesus says, this is what God is like, then you and I are called to respond to this by holding on to it and saying, that is exactly what, if that's what God is like, I'm going to hold on to it. Our days hold any number of temptations and challenges. Your home has so many difficulties that I don't even have any idea. Our hearts have so many, so many temptations to sin, to unbelief, to giving up on the Lord, to turning our back on Him, to setting up our own kingdoms. This passage says what you need is to be formed by the character of God. So hold on to it. Look at Jesus and then say, this is what God is like when I'm in sin. This is what God is like when I'm weak. This is what God is like when I don't know what to do. This is what God is like when I need a rock. This passage calls us to hold on to his character so that our entire life begins to be formed by the character of God, by the name of God. So this week I went grocery shop. Well, I was picking up a few things at the grocery store. Emma said, hey, can you pick up a few things? And I was kind of kind of laughing because I saw somebody that was like six five whistling Christmas songs, and I was like, "There, you just never know what kind of person you're going to see in the grocery store." Then I became that person because she asked me to pick up some some apples, and I come around the corner and I saw some apples I hadn't seen in a year, and I went, "Ooh!" And then I went, "Uh, "Did anybody hear that?" I did not intend for anybody to. I did not intend for anybody to uh, hear me ooing and aahing over the apple selection at the grocery store this week. So you know that I love apples. And one of the things that I've discovered is incredibly important with apples is that you've got to, you have to form and shape the limbs or else they'll go their own way and do their own thing. If you've ever driven down, well, I'm sure you have. If you drive down south of Jerseyville, they're at Ringhausen's. Every year he's got to cut the top off because all the limbs just want to grow straight up. But they won't grow anything if they do that. And so every year he cuts the trees off at the very top. Um, some of the other orchards around here, you'll, you'll notice they'll, they'll tie all of their limbs down so that the limbs will grow in the right way so that the apples will grow. You think trees grow, just leave them alone, let them do their thing. But the problem is they won't do their own thing. They've got to be formed in the right way or else they're not going to be useful. And I was thinking of that story this week because this passage tells us that we need to be formed to the character of God, revealed in Jesus, if we're going to be useful for anything. Jesus says, I am showing you what the glory or what the character of God is like. I am revealing the name of God to you. And it is only when we get formed to that that we become useful at all or left to our own devices. We'll just grow wild, grow straight up, and produce nothing. This passage tells, calls us to be formed by the character of God because we believe moment by moment, day by day, God The righteous Father is doing good to me today. Righteous Father has mercy for me in this moment. The the wise God of the universe has wisdom 
and that he's holding out for me. The heart of God is that he is preparing a table and a home for me. And so, as our hearts begin to be formed by that, then we become useful in the kingdom. So the third way to respond to Jesus' prayer from this passage is to respond to Jesus' prayer. I'm sorry, is to hold on to his character. The fourth way to respond to Jesus' prayer from this passage is receive his love. Look at verse 26. He says, I've made you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus says, I have revealed the Father to you so that the Father's love could be in you. Jesus, right here, is praying and says, Father, it's not enough that they know about you. It's that they know that your love is tucked away deep down in their hearts. So the motivating reality in their lives is that you love them. Love is a soft word in our world. And it's a common word in our world. But we can't get past it because it's what Jesus wants for us. Jesus wants his disciples to know the love of the Father now belongs to them. He's praying that for Peter. Who's going to betray him and turn his back on him. He's praying that for all of the other disciples who will abandon him. He's praying it for Thomas who's going to doubt him. He's going to pray it for everybody who shows up late to the resurrection, who don't expect it. Jesus is here praying and says, I want these disciples to know that the love the Father has for the Son is available to them. And it dwells in them and it motivates them. And it changes their hearts and it changes their lives. The God of the universe wants his love in you. He wants his love in you. So, can you today receive it? This isn't a, a, a list of go out and run a marathon. Run a, run a 5K. Run 100 yards. Says, will, you, will you receive what the Father is giving you? Will you believe that He actually loves you and He wants His love deep down in your heart? In order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I may be myself may be in them. Here he comes back again. Earlier he had prayed that you look forward to the promise, I want them to be with me. And here he says, now I will be in you. And so today, in November of 2023, the God of the universe says, I want my love in you. And I am going to be in you. And I'm not going to leave you alone. I am going to be in you so that you don't have to face whatever this day or this week holds alone. Those of you that need wisdom, he's like, I'm here. The wisdom that made the universe is dwelling inside you with the Father's love. Those of you that need strength and a rock and a a firm place to put your feet, this verse tells us today that the rock of ages is dwelling inside your heart, inside your body, inside you, in the deepest part of you. Can you trust him? Can you receive it? This August, when we went through Zephaniah, we discovered together Zephaniah 3.17 that says, the Father will sing over you with his love. 
which I can't get that image out of my head, that, that the father, like a loving father, singing over his little baby in the middle of the night, says, I want my people to know I am singing over them with love. And then here, Jesus heightens it and says, I want the love that you have for me to be in my disciples. So the question for you today is, will you receive his love? Will you trust that it's real and that you don't have to earn it and that God's not holding out on you going, why can't you get a little bit better? But instead, today he says that if you are my disciple, if you are in Christ, the love the Father has for the Son dwells in you. Becomes the motivating factor in your life when it's no longer simply fear of punishment. But that's actually the, the confidence of love. told this story before of a professional basketball player once told the story of how uh, his dad never got to see him play basketball. And so his dad was a professional basketball player himself, and his, so, but his dad got to see a game one time, and he tried as hard as he could to be awesome, and he didn't score a single basket. And he was so ashamed. And he, he was so ashamed that he He was wanting to impress his dad for the first time his dad got to see him play. And at the end of the game, his dad was like, I know you want to be good, but know that I love you already. I love you already. You don't have to score a lot of baskets to impress me. I love you unconditionally. He said, that made all the difference, but I still wanted to score. I think in this passage, Jesus, he wants disciples who live out love in the world. But here he says, first, I love you and my Father's love is going to belong to you and live in you. Will you receive it and let that be the motivating factor, the motivating confidence of your life? So this passage calls us to respond to Jesus' prayer. Do you do this? Do you treasure his promises? Or do you treasure other things instead? Are you going to worship this week or will you worship created things rather than your creator? Are you going to hold on to his character or are you going to look for something else to give you strength and confidence? Will you receive his love? Where is the good news in this passage for you and for me? Our priorities fall short of Jesus' priorities. What makes us think that God is going to love and accept us this week? The good news of this passage is that Jesus will go through his betrayal, trial, and execution while doing all of this perfectly. He's going to treasure the promise of the resurrection saying, today you will be with me in paradise. He's going to endure with his eyes fixed on glory. He's going to hold on to the character of his father and say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He's the one man who deserved the father's love. And then he's going to die so that the father's love can genuinely and freely go to everybody who comes through Christ. That is yours if you are in Christ. What Jesus wants for you, Jesus gives to you. And then he says, walk in this way. I will be in you. I will be in front of you. I'm going to be over you. Maybe you've never come to God through Christ, and today you wonder what that means. Maybe you feel guilty over your sin, and you want to know how God's love can be for you, 
how God's love can be over you. Let me tell you how it can be yours. First, the Bible tells us that God made us, everybody, the world, and that makes him king over, that means him, that makes him Lord and master over everything. He gave Adam and Eve one rule to express his dominion over them, their obedience and love in return. But Adam and Eve and you and I said, no, we will not live in your way. We are not going to live in your kingdom. We do not trust you. We do not love you. And we will not worship you. That Bible calls that sin and says the wages of sin is death, but the gift, uh, I'm sorry, the wages of sin is death. That's physical death in this life and eternal death in hell forever. Three, instead of leaving us there, the Bible tells us that God, that God prepared for and then came and lived the life that you and I should live and then died the death that you and I should die and then was raised to new life so that he can offer forgiveness and new life to everybody who comes to him as Savior and Lord. As we repent of our sin and trust in Jesus only, that is the entrance into the kingdom so that he can say, the Father's love is now yours. I now have a home for you in your future. Your past is wiped away. You have a new life in front of you. The Bible says that can be yours through repentance and faith. Turning away from sin and trusting in Jesus only to save you. And so today, if you say, I want that. I want the promise that Jesus offers. I see this glory and I want to worship. I want this new life. Come to Jesus in repentance and faith. Don't put it off. Don't wait another day. Let today be the day that you pray and say, God, I am a sinner. I cannot save myself, but I repent of my sin. I trust in Jesus to save me and I will follow him as my Savior and Lord. If that's you today, let today be the day that you trust and follow Jesus. If that's you, you can come and grab me at the end of the service and say, hey, I want to know this. I want to tell the world this, but let today be the day of salvation for you. So this passage calls you and I to respond to Jesus' prayer. To treasure his promise to worship his glory, to hold on to his character, to receive his love. I want you to imagine what, what changes this week in your life. If the only thing that changes is this became real in your own heart and you responded. You can go in through work. You can go to Thanksgiving. You can go into this Christmas season treasuring the promise, trusting his heart, holding on to his character. I want you to imagine what changes in, in your home when it's no longer revolving around making life work, but it's instead it's a family that worships the glory of God that gives himself for us. That sounds like a different kind of home when it's a worshiping kind of home. Imagine what changes in your anxiety and fear this week. When the character of God revealed in Jesus Christ is ever present in those moments. You say, I don't get to change other things. But I do know that the God of the universe revealed in Jesus Christ is living in me right now. And says he will not leave me or forsake me. I want you to imagine what changes in our neighbor's lives. When, the, when we as a church begin to do this. 
We have neighbors who deal with broken homes, who deal with addiction, who deal with anxiety, who deal with fear, who deal with the uncertainty of life, and who look out on the world and feel like they're totally alone. Imagine what happens when there is a church here, living in light, the character of God, the glory of God revealed to us, receiving his love and giving that to our neighbors. It sounds like a good news kind of church at Christmas time. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would use your word from John 17 to cause us to respond in a way we've never done before with a confidence and with a love and with worship and with marveling that the God of the universe would give all of this for us. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.